This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's really about protecting the young of, of, the, of the oceans and the rivers and the lakes, and because that is the future. And, and they, tend to be, they tend to be the most threatened because they're right up next to the land. And the land is where people live and where you know, there's pollution, there's development, there's all these things that can neg- negatively impact um, the water and, and the creatures in the waters. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. Hi, I'm Al Perkinson from Bahio Sunglasses on the Tom Roland Podcast. Al, what's up? How are you? Doing great. How you doing, man? Man, I am doing it's great. It's a beautiful day in New Smyrna Beach. Is that yeah. right? It's like 80 and sunny. It's awesome. I love it. That's awesome, man. So, um, Wow. I, I, right before this, I was doing a little homework. I looked on your website and I also went back and looked at the show that we filmed. Uh, and, and I didn't think it was that long ago, but man, did, did I look young and Rich looked young. You looked young. We all looked young. <laughs> it's, it's been a while, but uh, I didn't realize that, uh, that it had been that long. But since then, man, you have gone on, on quite a journey to, uh, to where Bahio is today. And um, it's incredible, man. How, how, how did this start for you as far as, um, I mean, I look back at where you were before, you had some banking in your background as far as your LinkedIn profile was, was concerned, but how does it go from, from, from that to getting into the fishing industry and then, then to Bahio today? 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, it's, it, uh, I guess it has been a long journey. I don't, I don't usually stop and reflect. Uh, it's just sort of going forward all the time, but it is fun, you know, um, occasions like this just to sort of think back a little bit and uh you know i think i've always been in search for that situation that was ideal for me that really created the purpose that i felt like i needed in my life and uh you know for a lot of us we never really find that and i've been lucky enough i think with bahio for it all to come together. And so it's really gratifying and, and super fun. Um, you know, I, I think back, you know, I've always wanted, I think, to do three things with my life. One is to use my life to do good. And, you know, even without a very specific um, definition of what that is, but just, you know, be selfless to a certain degree and use whatever resources I have or, you know, whatever talents or skills I might have to, uh, to make the world better, to, to help people. Um, I think also I've just always loved the outdoors. You know, you know, if you're an outdoor person or not from the very beginning, I'm sure you, you know, if you have, have that gene and, you know, I was one of four boys and growing up, uh, just love to, you know, I think exploration was the part of the outdoors that, that really, you know, tickled my imagination. Um, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in North Carolina. Okay. Uh, we moved around a little bit, but I started out in Charlotte and, you know, my brothers and I had a Creek right behind our house and every Saturday was like, you know, a mission and, you know, the excitement of the anticipation. What are we going to find today? What are we going to discover? And our dreams were always a lot bigger than reality uh, in this little suburban creek. But it was, you know, it was always there from the beginning. Um, and then I think the other thing is is creativity. And I love, I'm a builder, man. I love, I love building things. I love creating things. And so finding something where all three of those uh, could be met and, uh, you know, just taken to the fullest extent um, has, has been the mission. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes I feel like I've found all three and some maybe one of three or two of three. Yeah. Uh, But now it feels like, you know, it's all there. We're able to do good. We're able to build this thing from scratch, which is uh, super amazing. And it's all about fishing and the water and the outdoors. So, um, that's, that's kind of where we're at and it's really fun. Well, it's really cool because, um, you know, the sunglass business is, is a competitive business. Um, but what we're using these sunglasses for, or, you know, fishing the water specifically, what you seem to have, uh, really chosen is the flats and the shallow waters. In fact, that's even the name of the, the company, right? That's what, that's what Bahio means, right? Right, right. And so Bahio is the Spanish word, I think specifically Mexican word for the shallows or the flats. And it's, uh, you know, it's the saltwater flats with the beautiful water, like in the Keys and the Bahamas that we know so much about. Um, but it's also, you know, the marshes in Charleston and the bayous in Louisiana. Uh, they're the places where the young uh, for the ocean are sort of born and grow up in safety before they go out into the big water and, and have to battle the big boys. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really about protecting the young of, of the, of the oceans and the rivers and the lakes. And because that is the future mm-hmm. and, and they tend to be, they tend to be the most threatened because they're right up next to the land and the land is where people live 
and where you know there's pollution, there's development, there's all these things that can neg- negatively impact um, the water and, and the creatures in the water. So that's that's kind of where we've chosen, you know, from I guess from an intellectual standpoint and a conservation standpoint, that seems to be the area that has the most need where we can put our resources. But it's also just where we love to fish the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marguerite and I are most at home. We're on a panga in some foreign country fishing for permit or bonefish or tarpon or, or barracuda. You know, it's probably our favorite at this point. Yeah. But, uh, I love yeah. the cuda fishing. That's so fun. Um, yeah. So when you're, um, I'm just kind of curious on the on the the entrepreneurial journey of of how you how you create a company and you you know use you you really get your purpose aligned with a mission and then align that with a business model that allows for you know sustainability financial sustainability and then also thinking about you know, environmental sustainability. And what you've created is really, um, it's really interesting because I know it's not easy to do. Like a lot of those things, you know, there's some really tough choices there, I'm sure, when you're coming to a business. Like you could, you could, you know, your your packaging could be all, you know, recycled or, or you know, good for the, the as, as good as it can be for the earth. Or you can get this cheaper thing right over here. And I just wonder, like, when you're when you're setting out from this for this thing, and you're starting it from scratch, like, I mean, how did you how do you do that? Do you kind of, you know, when you're on the panga sitting around waiting for the tide to change, do you scratch things out on a piece of paper? Do you kind of have a vision of what you think it could be, and how has that changed over time? Yeah, it was it was a really interesting process because. Uh, you know, as you know, I, I worked for another sunglass brand for a very long time and was was instrumental in building that brand from a very small thing to a very big thing. Um, and then uh, I kind of went on. I left there because, you know, those three things I mentioned uh, were sort of getting either squashed out or reduced when the company was sold to a, a giant company. Mm-hmm. Um, the purpose was really getting re- replaced by profit. Uh, the creativity was getting replaced by, you know, more of a uh, low risk, uh, less creative type of approach. Uh, And the outdoors was kind of getting replaced by the world of optical. So I went in search of those three things um, and landed at Sims. And then, uh, you know, definitely was in the outdoors there, living in Montana, which is amazing. I know you spent some time out west as well it's such an yeah, that's right where spot. my boys are right there in bozeman with is it really yeah yeah they oh, i uh, love my oldest my oldest is is graduated from montana state my youngest is still is still there and of course my daughter she goes to auburn but um yeah bozeman is uh that's that's we make phone calls there every day <laughs> yeah our daughter just graduated from montana state really so, uh, she, oh what a great school i mean yeah. they just hike and fish and have a great time. It's you know, so ski. great. It's so great. Um, but yeah, I was there for a little bit and it was definitely about the outdoors, but it was a private equity deal. It wasn't really about mission or, or, you know, risk taking. And, um, and then the same thing at hook, I was there for a short period of time. Um, so, you know, we decided that if we really wanted to have the life we wanted to have and be able to do the things we wanted to do, we were going to have to start our own company. Um, so that's really the first part, I think, of the journey is just selling yourself and convincing yourself that you can do it and then uh, convincing your wife and your family <laughs> <laughs> that they can do it, too. And, you know, Marguerite is my pure partner, so we do every everything together. Um, but that was that was the first choice. And then, um, you know, I'd never raised money before. And, and I didn't have a big bank account to rely on to fund the thing. So I had to go out and ask people for money. And uh, luckily, I found a guy who knew the mechanics of doing that. He's like, you bring me the people and I'll sign them up and get it get it done. And so we started doing that. And I was surprised at the reception. It was, you know, we just had a loose concept. But a lot of people were like, yeah, we're, we're on board. We get it. And uh, but then COVID hit. 
And so everybody put their checkbooks away and said, let's just wait a few months and see how this thing plays out. And we were living in Charleston at the time and, you know, kind of locked in our house. And I had a, a office upstairs that, uh, you know, we would open the windows and the trees were rustling outside. And it was just like this peaceful place, sit up there with my dogs. And what I decided to do was to just imagine and not be like fettered by any can'ts or, you know, it's not the smart business thing, but just dream and imagine. And I just started like writing stuff down, pulling pictures off of, you know, Adobe and, uh, you know, creating these boards of pictures and stuff. And then I'd be up there all day. And I remember I would come down at the end of the day, like five or six o'clock, grab a cocktail. We'd put the PowerPoint up on the big screen TV and I would make Marguerite sit through the the presentation and she would criticize and be like, no, no. And, or maybe do this, or I like that. And then we did that for like three or four months. And just, I said, look, let's just imagine and see what that looks like. And then it, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. And it was crazy that almost everything we imagined, once we put it up there, it became doable. It wasn't really that hard. And so this thing, we've improved, we've made changes, but it's you know, basically what we dreamed about up in that office in Charleston during COVID. So it came to be. Have you ever had experiences in your life where you've done that before, like make a vision board or, or something like that and then bring something into reality like this? Do you have experience with that? Yeah, I think, I think that's kind of how I've operated. It's mm-hmm. the vision first. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not like George Bush Sr. who was like that vision thing is, you know, gives, gives me. I, I mean, I love the vision thing. I, I think that's what it's all about. And if you don't have that to sort of organize your efforts in a way and make your efforts more efficient because they're beginning with the end in mind, mm-hmm. um, then I don't know how you I don't know how you do it. Um, yeah, you know, I, well, I don't I'm, know any other way to do it. I'm kind of like you. I don't know any other way to do it too, but a lot of people don't operate that way. A lot of people don't have that in their background of, of coming up with a vision, writing something down or, or taking pictures out of magazines or whatever you do to create this visual storyboard that you can look at. And then maybe you put that away over time and then you come back and you're like, what is this? And you pull this thing out and you're like, oh, wow, this is the vision board I had for, you know, 10 years ago. And I have every, I have accomplished every single thing on this vision board. It is astounding and it's, it's amazing. But so would you think that, um, I mean, obviously the way that you tell that story, COVID actually was a, was a time for you to, to reset, refocus, and and really delve into this this vision and work on it. I mean that that actually turned out to be a really productive time for you. It really was. It really was. So um, very fortunate. And it was it was just a time where you know I did have a couple of consulting projects I was working on, and they were in the fishing world, so it was all related, uh, but. Yeah, it allows you to quiet your mind mm-hmm. and just make all the noise go away and and just, you know, think and imagine and dream. And uh, so I I don't know. I think probably if it wasn't for COVID, we'd be in a very different place than we are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not as good. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly, certainly in this situation, that's that's for sure. Um, and then as you're refining your vision and you and your wife are working on on what you're coming up with this better pitch and a refined pitch. How long did it take for people to kind of pull their checkbooks out again and say, well, COVID obviously isn't going away, but we're going to start operating again. Like that's what the whole world had to do, right? Is like, we can't just sit here, you know, visioning things. We have to actually, now we have to actually do things. Uh, so how, how long did that take for, for people to kind of jump back on to, uh, action of, of raising money and all that. 
Yeah, I think so. This uh, would have been January of 2020 when we kind of made the decision that we wanted to do this, January, February. And then, you know, put together a concept deck. It wasn't really very good. And I just got in my car and drove down to Florida and just started having dinner and lunch with people. And that would probably happened in maybe February and March of 2020. And then I guess COVID hit, you know, literally the week I got back from my trip, uh, it was, they shuttered everything. Mm -hmm. And so it was probably three months. We went, I would say we went back out in May and June and then uh, closed on our first raise at the end of July. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. And then since then, man, when you go to the website, it's really incredible what you've built in such a small amount of time. I mean, you have uh, explain, you know, for somebody that's not, not familiar with, with your company, but like the, the, the product line that you have, and then that, that's all really cool. And I'm very interested in the product line, but then all of the, the missions, the way that you've aligned these missions and, and behind the scenes really is, is really incredible. And I want to make sure that we save enough time for that. But, um, how did you decide on like how you were going to build this as far as product lines go and, and what, I mean, you're making the lenses right there in Florida is what you're, you told me at Miami. So I'm really interested in how that goes too, because that's, that's pretty unique in the sunglass world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, it all is, is, uh, is kind of unique. You know, I, uh, I was, you may or may not find this surprising, but in college I was a sculpture major. So I was an artist and what I, what I, I knew I could never be like a full-time professional artist. I just didn't have enough talent, but I did think that I could learn to be creative and I learned, I could learn to use, you know, the right side of my brain and not just the left side. And so when you're, when you're doing a sculpture, you have to work in the round. You have to work on the whole thing at one time. If you're doing a drawing, it's two dimensional. And so you're just drawing right there but with the sculpture it's 3d so if you just work on one side of it then you know the back side of it looks mm. terrible and it's not connected so it's a constant um you know working in the round working in 3d so that's kind of how i approach this and you know how i approach everything really is working on all aspects of it all at the same time and spend a little bit of time on each, but just keep moving. And that, that creates something that's cohesive. So, you know, if you just built something that was, you know, cause-based, it's going to save the world, but it didn't make any money or wasn't commercially right. viable, or you couldn't produce it because, you know, logistically you couldn't make that happen, then the whole thing is not going to work. So all of those things have to work together and you have to kind of develop them all uh, simultaneously, you know, so that's kind of how we did it. We wanted it all to be a one cohesive thing and all to be in service of this idea, um, which was using business for good. And in our case to, to save the flats, you know, wow. and, uh, so, so that's, you know, that's kind of, kind of how it started. You know, luckily I've, I've spent, you know, whatever, 15 or 20 years in the sunglass business and, you know, more than that and in, in fishing in the outdoors. So I knew the territory. I knew a lot about what would work and what wouldn't work. Um, I knew how we wanted to operate. And, you know, we wanted to be able to build our glasses here um, for, you know, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is it's just cool to build your own stuff. Um, and design your own stuff. A lot of people just take kind of off the shelf mm -hmm. things, um, but we wanted to build our own so it fit us and it fit the specifications that that we needed. Um, it's really cool to do stuff in our country um, and and be independent and and be American made. You know, um, we still have to get parts from all over the world because unfortunately. Um, 
you know, the U.S. has lost a lot of its manufacturing base. We're primarily a service economy these days. Uh, and my long-term dream is to be able to build everything from scratch here. Wow. Don't know if we'll get there or not, but um, but at least we we bring in the parts, we cut the lenses, we assemble everything together, we do the quality, we do repairs, all that stuff uh, right here. Um, so that was kind of a value of ours. I also wanted a value of, of helping the people and taking care of the people who were here. You know, 300 people got laid off when, you know, the big European company bought the little sunglass company here in Daytona. And uh, a lot of those people needed jobs. And we've been able to give a lot of those jobs back. But not just jobs. I mean, I really feel like people should come into work every day super stoked to be there. And, you know, we were, we were talking about this the other day. It's like when you have to put your corporate hat on during the day and then you take it off and you're a different person when you go home at night, there's like this disconnect in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I want to do away with that disconnect. I want people to be the same person they are uh, at work as they are at home and feel that comfortable. So everybody feels like family here. Everybody is a stockholder. I gave everybody a piece of the company. Wow. Um, I just gave it to them. They didn't have to pay for it. One of the, one of the gals asked me who works downstairs. Um, you know, I'm upstairs in the attic and, uh, <laughs> most of the folks are downstairs, but, um, she said, so how much are you going to take out of my check each month for this? I'm like nothing. She goes, so it's a gift. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're going to earn it, you know, because <laughs> you got to come in here and work super hard. But but yeah, you don't have to pay for it. And she was like, damn, thank you. That's that's really nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I think that and then we we have little things, you know, I mean, we've got dogs running around. We got kids running around. You wear flip flops or barefooted. Uh, we get together. Every Friday, hopefully it'll grow to more often than that, but for a little family lunch, and we all sit down around a big table together and, uh, and eat lunch that the company pays for. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, so, you know, creating that environment and that culture, um, you know, where, where people feel heard and nobody's afraid to speak up and say what they think um, and to tell me I'm crazy, uh, which happens quite regularly. So creating that environment was another piece that was just a value set that we wanted to have. Right. Um, and diversity, you know, I, I personally, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of greenwashing out there. There's a lot of brownwashing, if you want to call it, you know, of people just checking boxes and hiring these consultants about diversity and stuff. But I honestly, I love having a diverse workforce with people who have different accents and different skin colors. It's just richer. It's more fun, you know, and it's just something I, I enjoy. So we kind of made it a point to bring in people. And in our little company, we probably got 20, 25 people here now. Uh, but we have people from Cambodia and from, um, you know, Mexico and, France and Australia, you know, Puerto Rico, Colombia, so many countries represented. And we have a flag for each country that we hang up in the office. That's cool. And so when we're hiring a new person, like, were well, they going to, you know, add a flag to our to our office? And so anyway, that's, you know, those are just some of the things, I guess, that as we're putting the whole whole thing together were important to us. What do you think, you know, as you as you have these uh, these different um, purposes, missions, things that are important to you. Where have the challenges come in? Things that you thought were were really important in the beginning, and 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 then you go to implement them, and you're like, hmm, this is a little tougher than I 
thought? Have, have you had some of those moments and then you decide maybe, I don't know, you're going to abandon that or move it to something else or it's actually worth, worth the fight to, to make that and continue that as part of your mission? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a constant um, balancing act, if you will. And, um, you know, I, I'm kind of a purist in a lot of ways and a bit idealistic. And, uh, you know, when you own the company and uh, run the company, um, you know, you, you can't sometimes be quite as idealistic and you need to be more pragmatic uh, but I think on the big things um, and on most things, we've been able to stay true uh, to what we wanted. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's cost us a lot more. Um, but on sustainability, for example, you know, my team, I'm like, guys, everything we make has got to be sustainable. And, and they're like, oh, man this box is going to cost us $5 instead of 50 cents. I'm like, all right, we'll find a cheaper one that's sustainable. Um, but we're going to just have to pay more. And, uh, so I think I, you know, I'm trying to think of ones where we, we compromised. Um, and, uh, I don't know. We haven't compromised a ton, honestly, at this point. Um, Do you think that that um, is a is part of the secret to the success that you've enjoyed so far? Is that you're not compromising? Uh, yeah, you know, I I think that's probably true. I mean, we're in such a world of compromisers that everything is watered down, and every position is, um, you know kind of massage to be less objectionable to the most people. But, you know, we are, you know, I think people like specificity. They like particulars and, um, and those, you know, you can, you can sort of make a big uh, assumption or a big leap from something small but you can't get to something small from something big. And that's just kind of how our brains work. So the more particular you can be with things, the broader appeal it's going to have, which sounds you know, kind of like that doesn't make sense. But uh, so, for example, the flats, um, you know, it's my personal passion, it's Marguerite's personal passion. Uh, there's scientific reasons to protect it. But you know, the sales guys and everybody else is like, look, you know, the flats fishermen, that's a very small market. And we need to appeal to the bass guys and the offshore guys and all these other guys. And uh, I'm like, well, if we just say we're for all fishing out of the gate, then nobody is going to really respond to that. You know, they're not going to know what we stand for or where we stand. So what I'd rather do is bring the bass anglers and the offshore anglers to our calls mm -hmm. as opposed to us chasing them. And so, you know, I would ask questions like, where do offshore guys get their bait? Oh, they get them in the shallows. So what happens if the shallows aren't healthy and the bait goes away? No more, no more sailfish. Right. right. And, uh, and so I think trying to, you know, the rub comes when you're trying to expand, you're trying to grow, you're trying to be bigger and appeal to more people. Um, when at the same time, you have this kind of specific message or specific cause. And so it's for me, making those connections to things is is the way to do it, because you maintain, you know, sort of the whole um, without compromising, you know, what you're what you're standing for. Um, yeah. So what's well, working? Um, it's certainly working and I like the uncompromising position. I think that's, I think that's really important. Um, and something that's pretty rare. Like you said, I think it's pretty rare these days. Tell me about how, uh, one of the things that we were talking about at the Miami boat show were these trails that you're coming up with. And, um, tell me about that. I think that is, you know, I, I, I really kind of gravitated to that part of the conversation because my boys are 
of the age that they would be taking part in something like this. Like a lot of people uh, might, you know, grab a backpack and go, go, uh, you know, through Europe, get a Eurorail pass or whatever and backpack through Europe. But what you were saying is something that would appeal more to, to my boys are these fishing trails. Um, so what are, what are you doing with these? Well, you know, as part of that original concept um, that, you know, we we hatched in Charleston up in the office, um, you know, the inspiring young people has always been a really key point. Those related, you know, the conservation of the flats and the inspiring young people are really related because, you know, they're the ones that are going to have to carry the torch and are going to have to do the work going forward. And most of them know that, and they, some of them are kind of pissed off about it because they feel like our generation has really screwed up the world, yeah. and now they got to go fix it. And they just want to have some fun, you know, and don't want to have to be a grown up when they're twenty years old and start fixing the world. Um, but I think there's a way to sort of bring those two things together um, if we can bring in exploration and we can bring in the outdoors and just let them do their thing, right? So. Um, so one thing that's, that struck me over the years is just, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel to these really places and stay in these amazing lodges and, you know, have these great fishing experiences and meet some of the local people and stuff like that. But I've done it as part of work. And so I haven't had to personally write the check for five or seven or 10 grand a week to go to these places. And so I, I look around and most of the people who go to those lodges are, you know, wealthy financial guys, tech guys, um, you know, older businessmen who've made their fortune and can afford to travel the world and stay in these places. Um, but how about the young guys? You know, how about the kids in college or in their 20s who are trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do with their life, right? Like, how can how can they have to do that? And the answer is they can't. So we basically, um, you know, blocked off a huge, amazing um, aspect of fishing to the young people. Mm-hmm. So the the idea, um, you know, was was to create an affordable way for young people to travel and and fish. And uh, so it's it's another it's kind of like a harebrained idea. And probably really hard to execute. And I guarantee you it's going to start out and be a shit show and <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it as we go. But that's just another way that I kind of roll. I'd rather get it out there and then have the pressure of public scrutiny to force us to fix it than just have it inside hatching forever, you know. Uh, so anyway, we, we love the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico and we've spent a ton of time down there. It's Our brand is kind of you know, it, it's the name comes from Mexican, um, you know, from a Mexican word. We spent a lot of time with Jesse at, at X Flats down in Ishkalak. And and so, uh, you know, we created our first trail that's called the Yucatan Trail. And basically what we did was we just went down there and road tripped it and uh, pulled in a couple of our local Mexican friends uh, c- who could help us navigate. And we just started down in Ishkalak at the very southern part of the Yucatan Peninsula, the sort of the southeastern part, and went up um, the coast around, hit Holbosch, that whole circuit, all the way back down to Tabasco on the southwestern side of the Yucatan Peninsula. And we found about 25 towns that um, were fishable and had good fishing. A lot of amazing snook fishing in there tarpon um as you get around to the east side there's a lot of permit and bonefish as well and and so you know we found people that could be sort of our our hosts or you know point person in each of those towns and then we found some diy fishing spots Mm. around there that you could just grab your rod go down to the beach explore and and fish with no guide we've also found you know, some kids who will be willing to guide for like 20 bucks a day or something super cheap places to camp, places to stay that are super cheap, you know, 20 bucks a night, 10 bucks a night, whatever. 
uh, places to eat that are super cheap. That is so um, cool. But it's also an experience, right? Because they are interacting with the local people there. They're getting to know the culture. And so that Yucatan Trail goes all the way around, and we documented it on an app that we'll be launching in about a month. And uh, it's called the Bahio Trails app. And so you can go on that app, and you can go plot your own course mm-hmm. that you want to take. How long do you have to do this? And you know, we'll recommend trails for you, or you can pick your own trail. And then you can reach out to the people in the towns and say, hey, I'm coming, you know, and uh, be on the lookout for me. And also you can connect with other people who are doing the same thing. Yeah. So our, our grand vision is to build these trails all over the world, including in the United States, and then create a community of trail goers, just like you have in Europe with the backpacking and the yeah. youth hostels. And eventually maybe we'll have fishing hostels that uh, will be in each some of these towns uh, as well. And then we also want to make it sort of a volunteerism uh, type of experience. So along the trail, we'll use that as the skeleton uh, to put conservation projects. So for example, down Ishkalak, you can go out and uh, plant coral, a piece of coral on a coral reef and watch it grow. Uh, you can clean up beaches. You can Get, clean up the sargassum, clean up the beach trash, plant mangroves. So in addition to fishing, they can stop by and spend a day helping out with conservation projects as well. Wow. So that's that's the concept. And, um, yeah, we'll be launching it soon. We'll see what the hell happens. Man, that is know. so cool. And, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm a builder, too, and I'm, I'm not as good of a, of a runner as I am a builder. Like, I like to build things. Like, that gets me super excited. And the tendency for me yeah. would be to take my eye off the ball of making sunglasses and selling sunglasses and being like, man, let's go make some more trails. This is so fun, right? <laughs> yeah. like, like, and I see that you have that tendency too, but somehow you have this ability to kind of balance these great ideas and not, you know, not go too far, you know, but get them off the ground and get them moving, but not, you know, not take your eye off the ball of, you know, what drives all of this. And that's what's interesting about, like, what you're doing. And it kind of reminds me a lot of, like, Elon Musk. You know, Elon Musk is super smart, right? And there's a lot of super smart people out there, but a lot of the super smart people aren't marketers. They're not communicators. They're not people that can raise money. They're people that can build incredible things, and they have but they don't have this other side of their brain. Like, you were talking about your right side, left side of your brain. And... That's one of the things that I think that is so special about him is that he's able to, you know, have this great vision, but then he's able to communicate it in a business sense and then build a company that, you know, like people were like, oh, people aren't going to pay that much for a Tesla. He's like, well, they're going to have to because otherwise we'll go out of business. And what good is it if we go out of business? Like, how are we going to to pass the torch on to these young people to go on these trails and do all these things if we can't keep the sunglass company running. It just seems like a really difficult thing because there's only a few unique type of individuals that can pull that off, and you seem to be one of them. And it's a, it's a real, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's super interesting, and it doesn't surprise me at all that you were a sculptor or, a, or an artist, but you also have like a banking background and a business background. And that's a rare, those are rare talents to, for one person to have, I think. Like a lot of people can pull that off with a partner or something, but I don't know. It's, do, you, do you ever get re- where you just would rather just go build trails? Because <laughs> that's what I would do, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, we built this. Our goal was to build a company that could be the economic engine to drive our mission mm-hmm. work that we wanted to do. Um, but if... If the economic engine's not viable, if it's not creating, you know, revenue and profits, then it's not going to work. So, you know, I would rather be building a business with, you know, that purpose in mind. That's that's sort of the motivational factor, than just building it to make money, mm-hmm. you know, for myself and or stockholders or whatever. 
So they all kind of work together because you have this greater purpose and everybody in the company, everybody involved, they come in knowing that, um, that that's what they're working for. And so I think they're more productive and, uh, you know, purpose-driven companies actually, you know, are more profitable than non-purpose-driven companies. There's a lot of research that's been done on that uh, recently, but I think I saw something where they outperformed the the uh, S and P 500 by 180 percent over the next over the last 10 years. Wow. So, and it and that is because of you know it's all about human beings, human capital, and productivity, and that's all driven by motivating. You know. If I'm walking into work in the morning and my CEO stands up and says, yes, we want to return shareholder value. That's why we're working. Let's go. Let's get fired up, you know? And I've been in those situations. Uh, it doesn't do anything for me. And I don't think it does anything for most people. Mm -hmm. But if you're coming in and you're, you know what? The money we make, the more that we can do. All right. If I believe in that, because I'll buy into it. And not-for-profits, you know, I got my master's in not-for-profit uh, administration. And the thing that the not-for-profits had was that motivation. I mean, their salaries sucked, but people, they got really good quality people because those people believed in that what they were doing was good. They believed in the mission, right? And I think now this combination of for-profit companies who are cause-based, mission-driven and they get the best of both worlds because, you know, they can be profitable and, and pay well, uh, but they can also, you know, get that extra motivation from people because they're doing good, you know? Yeah. Do you notice, um, I mean, that is when, when you see those, those kind of things, like the stats that you mentioned about how uh, a, a company like yours can outperform another one based upon your mission. And, and you built this mission-based from the start, right? And, and purpose driven from the start. But a lot of companies, you know, you'll see them just kind of attach themselves to something. What do you think the difference is between, I mean, is that as productive as, as like what you're doing and, and, you know, a, a company that is truly based in this, in this purpose driven mission driven deal or just kind of attaching, do you think the attaching to a, to a conservation organization or to, um, you know, when you've demonstrated over the years that you're basically for the stockholders and now you're going to attach here because you know that, that mission-driven businesses or purpose-driven businesses are, are doing really well right now, so let's go, let's go attach to one of those. Do you see a difference between, between that and what you're, what you're doing? Yeah, you know, and it's, um, on the one hand, it's like, well, look, if they want to write checks yeah. for these organizations, awesome. You know, and um, the only the only negative aspect I see to that is that it it sort of taints um, the folks who are really in it for, you know, maybe the right reasons or other reasons, mm -hmm. um, because uh, it's like greenwashing. All of a sudden, everybody's doing it. And so, you know, consumers you know, they just feel kind of have a bad taste in their mouth about it a little bit, feel mm -hmm. kind of cynical. Like they don't really believe that they're just doing that because it's good optics, yeah. you know? Uh, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know, no answer to it, but I do think that, um, you know, for the employees within those companies, you have two very different experiences and, the ones in the big corporation that's greenwashing probably feel pretty cynical about the efforts. They may show up and, you know, pick up some trash on a beach on Saturday because they feel like their manager would get pissed if they didn't. Um, but it's more extrinsically motivated than intrinsically. And I do think that when you can, when you can motivate people intrinsically, that it's more powerful it's you know and it's it's better for everybody and ultimately um it's a self-powering kind of uh situation right yeah. self-motivating 
because you're creating something, you're planting something inside of somebody that's going to drive them no matter what the external situation looks like, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Where it's, you know, extrinsic motivation, it'll kind of work for a minute and then it'll go away till they get more and go away till they get more. Right. Uh, It also seems like you might be attracting the right kind of people to you, you know, like, like that's, I mean, I'm sure that's happening. That people are like, I'm looking for something more. I'm looking for something with meaning. This is something that I really want to be a part of, right? As opposed to, yep. this is a company that I can get a pretty good salary, and they they make me drink out of a metal cup, you know, or or <laughs> I don't know, whatever, right. whatever the 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 flavor of the week is of of the uh, things that you can attach to. Um, one of the things that I saw on the website was a was a five year plan. And it, and it had something to do with with the Odyssey. Um, so tell me about the Odyssey team and what what where that fits into the to the purpose of uh, of Bahio. Yeah, we it started out pretty broad. Uh, the idea of the Odyssey, um, with the mission being to you know renew and and help the flats throughout the world. So we went through. Google Maps, and um, I started to talk to my scientist friends. And what I found was nobody knows where all the flats are in the world. There's never been a book written that says, here's all the flats, you know. <laughs> nobody studied them as a special, um, you know, type of environment, right? And so, uh, you know, my, my buddy Andy Danilchuk, uh, who I've been friends with forever, he's like, you know, I've been wanting, he's a professor at a, you know, Ivy League school. He's like, I've been wanting to write that book forever. You know, maybe we could work on that together. Um, so, so that's kind of where it started. And then we broke it up into different ways that we, you know, wanted to help. So we identified all the threats uh, that in general uh, that are hurting the flats. And then, um, you know, started on the mission and our, our first trip was down to Ishkalak, Mexico. And the next one was to Honduras and to, uh, you know, Guanaja, which is an incredible spot. Uh, then we were scheduled to go to Cuba and then they, they closed it off because of all the bad things happening there with COVID and riots and stuff like that. Um, and so that, that mission is, it's still there, but I think what, what I've, figured out and sort of refined it is it's become the trails. And so the trail system, it's a very concrete thing that it's our mission at each of these flats that we go to around the world is to build these trail systems and then put all of the conservation and stuff on that. So it becomes kind of like the foundation. Um, so in our new website, when it gets revised, it's going to focus more on the trail system as the manifestation of the odyssey concept okay cool yeah um yeah that's that's awesome man and what is the what is the uh um kind of temperature when you go to these new places and you're you're trying to introduce this concept of the of the trails and is is that welcomed by the by the locals or do they wonder what it is or i guess once you have one that you can you can show them examples of like this is what we do and this is how many people might come that would probably help but in the in the first mm-hmm. part where you're trying to explain this concept, are the the local towns and the the people welcoming of this or or skeptical or what have you what have you encountered? Well, there's there's a couple of different uh, aspects to it. So one of if you're like the fishing guides in Mexico, mm-hmm. you know Jose and Sandflea and uh, Nato and all those guys. Uh, yeah, I sat down with them and like. Okay, here's the concept, guys. And I know that you're guides and you work out of a lodge. So I hope this is not threatening to you. Uh, but I um, said, so first, let me ask you a question. Who comes, who are your clients right now? And how old are they? And they're like, well, they're, they're pretty old, pretty old. I'm like, okay, well, where are your, where's the next generation of clients coming from? They're like, I don't really know. I don't really know. And I said, okay, so that's what this is about. This is like, and, and then the, the second question is, 
um, okay, all you guides are kind of getting old. Who's going to come in and be the next guides under you? They're like, I don't know, man. Are, a lot of the young people, they're not interested in doing this at all, right? And, uh, you know, they want to play video games or they want to go off to America or, or whatever. And uh, so I said, okay, well, what this project's about is about developing that next generation of, of saltwater fly anglers. And it's about developing that next generation of guides. And so we, we're going to bring them here and it's not going to make you any money to start with, but it's a long-term play. And so let's say that you want to get your kids involved in guiding, have them guide one of these kids for like, you know, 50 bucks a day, 20 bucks a day, whatever, to get some experience, to get hooked on it, to connect with some kids from other countries. And maybe that will spur them to, Mm -hmm. you know, becoming guides and they get it. In like two seconds, these guys wow. get it, and they're all on board to help. That's so different than than the uh, than the situation that was going on in the Bahamas, where you know they were really coming down on tourists trying to DIY fish there, and it didn't work. And I always, I didn't. I mean, I guess I understood kind of what they were doing, but it didn't seem like that didn't seem sustainable to me at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it, and it didn't. It didn't work but that's that is uh that's pretty interesting that they that they see that right away and are willing to help and so as you move to other guides that you don't know like you're go- you're moving to these other places where you haven't spent a lot of time you haven't developed the trust from these guys to be like well al al seems to know what he's doing man he's been doing this for a long time he's cool he's never done me any wrong before and I'm going to listen to him on this one, and we're going to we're going to help with this project. But when you move to a new place, they don't know who you are. Are you sitting down and having the same kind of conversation? And is it being, um, is it being, are they being as receptive as the people who already know you? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like we're part of a community, and and it's amazing. Um, how many people know each other and of each other and no matter where you go, these folks are wearing usually American made brands Mm -hmm. of gear and they have customers who come, you know, from Montana to whatever saltwater flat it might be. And so there's a fair amount of knowledge uh, about the industry. They, They go online, they look on the internet. So they know a lot of that. But the other thing is, which is really cool that I've noticed um, over the years, a sort of an insight is that we are all the same, you know, they're like parents and they have kids and they're going through the same crap that we go through as parents here. You know, their 14 year old daughter is being a pain in the ass, you know, their, their little guys are running around getting in trouble and, um, you know, so we we all face the same issues, really, no matter what our economic status is or what country we're from. When it comes to family, when it comes to economics, jobs, uh, when it comes to the environment, I mean, we got a lot more in common than, than not, yeah. right? So you just talk to folks on a human level and explain, you know, things on a human level. And I swear I've never been to a place where these were aliens who didn't get it. You know, we're all part. We're all humans. We all get it. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome, man. I love the idea of the trails. God, I just, I just love it. I think that, you know, my son right now, he, he just planned a trip down to, uh, down to Patagonia. He's going to be walking uh, one of the trails down there. And I mean, what, what he really wanted to do was find a place where he could walk and fish. That's what he was. That's what he set out to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, had this program been a little bit more mature or he had knew, knew a little bit more about it, or maybe your app had been out or I don't know, maybe he knew somebody that had done this, he would have been mm-hmm. a really good candidate to do this because this is kind of what he wanted to do. He wanted to put on mm-hmm. a backpack and walk and get out and see some cool stuff and, you know, he'll sleep anywhere. He doesn't care. You know, he wants to go. Mm-hmm. And he would have been a perfect one. So, I mean, as soon as you started talking about that, I was like, man, that is so awesome i know so many other kids that that want to do that kind of stuff and they end up they end up doing something different you know taking a job somewhere and that's all cool but what they really wanted to do was walk and fish 
And that's what you're, yep. that's what you're creating. It's super cool. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, um, you know, yeah, you know, not to get too philosophical about it, but when you're in that life stage of your twenties now, and it's the 20 year olds of today are a little different than the 20 year olds olds of yesterday. And that, um, there's, they sort of have delayed getting married and, you know, having kids and all of that until thirties and in the twenties have really started trying to explore and find what they're passionate about and what they want to do. And they're finding it hard to do because growing up, you know, us baby boomers have not let our kids out of the house without an escort, right? right? We've got all these organized sports with these amazing uniforms that, you know, I mean, when I, when I played sports as a kid, it was like some old pair of gym shorts and maybe I got a t-shirt with the yeah. team's name on it. Now they look like miniature major league baseball players out there and the fields are manicured. We played on freaking dirt fields, you know, and with rocks on them and, you know, the balls would jump over our head after hitting a rock. Now, I mean, they're groomed. They've got like grass infields. It's, uh, it's crazy. And it's like helicopter parenting is just the hallmark of the baby boom generation. And what it's done, it's robbed a lot of these kids of, of finding out who they are and what they really are passionate about. I mean, I hear, I hear college kids, you know, 20 somethings, all the time be like, yeah, you know, I was reading about passion the other day and, and I've heard that it's really important to have passion. What's passion? I, I don't, I don't have it. I, I think I need it, you know, but, um, so anyway, I, I do think that at, at it's sort of a higher level that this, this makes it easier for them to get out and explore and, you know, explore the world and find themselves is kind of what, what the motto is on that. Wow. And then maybe, maybe, uh, become, become, uh, a lifelong outdoors person. And, uh, exactly. And that's what we need because those, those, the young people are the ones that are going to take care of it. And I always think that, yep. you know, it's so important to, to have people fishing and going outside or hunting, fishing, hiking, backpacking, because, they actually care and they actually know what's out there as opposed to just not knowing about it. And it's one thing to say, well, there's less pressure, but there's also less voices. There's also less people taking care of the, of the environment because they actually know what that swamp land has. It's got huge bass in it or this, this, you know, that marsh has tons of redfish in it or this flat, you know, that shallow water where you, where you beach your jet ski. No, man, that's the, that's where the bonefish live. Like that's, that's super cool. And, and otherwise they don't know what's up there and they really don't care. And, uh, when it comes to putting another strip mall up, then they just put it right next to it because they don't, they don't that's care. Right. It's not, it's not, important they don't care. Um, you know, what's interesting about this whole story that, that you just told me in this whole conversation that we had is it all started with you going out, looking at this Creek as a kid. And you said that what was important to you was the exploration and the outdoors. And then you came full circle and you went all the way back to what's important to this company is the exploration and the outdoors. And uh, it's just really cool to see that you manifested so much with, you know, through COVID to build this company. But it seems like you've been manifesting it all your life. I mean, honestly, you've been just, you're interested in exploring, exploration and the outdoors and you're, you're bringing that full circle to, to building something that is a, is a vehicle for many, many other people, you know, hopefully to, uh, to experience the same exploration in the outdoors. It's, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. Well, thanks. I hope, I hope so. I hope it works. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's not seems, without its challenges. <laughs> it seems to be working, but, uh, you know, congratulations, man. It's, it's, uh, it's really, it's really cool to see, you know, the success of, uh, of this company in such a short amount of time, you're in tons of retailers all over the country, you know, people are embracing it and, uh, and it really is, you know, based upon a purpose and a mission that's close to your heart. That's, that's super cool. Awesome. Right on. Where do people find, uh, how do they find your website and where they find the, the product and support the company or buy a t-shirt or whatever they want to do? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, on the trails thing, if, you know, we want to make this sort of a crowdsourced deal. Mm -hmm. So if you have ideas like, hey, this would be a great trail and I'd love to help build it, then just contact me, al at behemothsunglasses.com. Super, super easy. Love to hear from people on that. Uh, If you want to buy products or check them out, you just go to behemothsunglasses.com and or go to you know, our Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and uh, learn about us there. Pretty simple. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on and, and uh, telling your story. It's awesome. I'd love to have you on again, especially as this trail, um, as this trail project matures and your app comes out. I think, I just think it's the coolest thing ever, man. It's, uh, it's awesome. Well, thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it. Super fun conversation. Yeah, we didn't, uh, didn't have to talk about details of sunglass business too much oh, so well, was you didn't fun. even tell me about your your super awesome lens that can help you see fish 10 feet further um yeah but you got we'll that get to too. that next time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually I'm, I'm really interested in just the way that you you built it and just just i think it's just super cool like that's how i've done things too is just to have a vision and then somehow that vision comes to life i i don't i don't know exactly how it works but you you have the same you have the same skill or talent or special superpower. I don't know what you call it, but it's it's pretty impressive. And the way that you built this in such a short time is is awesome. So, good job. We'll uh, we'll get you back on again. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to go check it out, check it out. Bahio sunglasses. And uh, if you got an idea for a trail, which you probably do, um, email him. All right, that's cool, man. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. Thanks, and, Tom. Uh, Appreciate we'll see it, you guys buddy. next week.